0: Welcome to Sounds of Brass.
1: Hello, you're listening to Fully Scored. I'm your host, Matthew Frost. And I'm here to tell you that this isn't just any podcast. This is a Salvation Army music-focused podcast produced by Music Editorial. Delicious. Indulge yourself with a canapé of chat as we speak to Amsterdam staff bandmaster Olaf Rittman about his life, faith and music. A deconstructed score is also on the menu as we welcome Dr Ronald Holtz to Fully Scored for the First Time to examine Peter Graham's Shine as the Light. And don't forget to save some room for fan favourite segment, Band Mastermind, and also Arid Island album with this month's guest, Melissa D. recorded at the World of Sound studio. You can expect this all to be served with a side of Sparsely Scored and Band Manager, our two newest segments. But first, here's Olaf Ritman. Well, thank you, Olaf, so much for joining us on the podcast. It's really great to see you and to be able to chat to you today by the magic of Zoom. And I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about your life, music and faith over the course of the interview. Are you keeping well? I'm well, thank you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, to be
2: honest, I'm not a regular listener because uh, it's, it, I'm a fairly busy man. And, uh, but now and then I, I try to listen to the podcast and really enjoy listening to it and getting the insights of some of the Uh, interviewees or how would you say that in proper English
1: (laughs) absolutely like that (laughs) excellent stuff well thank you and it really is great to speak to you so I've got a few questions to get to know you a little bit better over the course of this interview my first question goes back to where it all began could you tell me a little bit about some of your earliest memories of the Salvation Army yeah
2: sure so I, I was born and bred in the Salvation Army. So uh, uh, my grandparents uh, on both sides of the family, they were uh, soldiers and uh, they all were really active uh, in, in, in the corps that they were in. So um, also my, my grandfather used to be a, a bandmaster and also the principal, principal cornet player of the Dutch national band, the forerunner of the Amsterdam South Band. So I think the earliest memories come from uh, the home core where I went at the age of eight or nine or so. Uh, I was always sitting uh, on the front row with my sisters and really enjoying everything that happened. Uh, so I, I never found it really annoying going there. Um, not even twice a Sunday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. And building on from those memories, I believe that you began to play the cornet at the age of 10 What was it, or who was it, that inspired you to take up the instrument?
2: That's correct. I started playing around the age of 10. And um, I think many of the listeners of of this podcast will know that my principal cornet player of the Amsterdam Stafford, Steve Klepke, passed away really, uh, really soon. He was only uh, 54 when he passed away last June. Um, But he was really the inspiration for me to start playing the cornet. I was about nine, ten, maybe, and I, I attended a, a music festival of the uh, of the army, uh, the so-called bandmasters councils, and Steve was only uh, had only just um, joined the Amsterdam band, and I watched them play, and uh, he was a f- fairly tall guy, big hands, and I I was really impressed that such a big guy could hold a small cornet, and it really made me uh, enthusiastic about the instrument. And that's why I started playing the cornet. So it was actually Stave who, who triggered me to, uh, to to
1: start playing the cornet. Fantastic, and precious memories indeed. Yes, yes. So moving on a few years, you became the bandmaster at your home core at the age of 22. And we'll hopefully discuss that in a moment. But I'm interested to know how your musicianship grew from that age of 9 or 10, when you first picked up a cornet and started to learn to play all the way through to taking that step of becoming a bandmaster. What was that journey like? Yeah, for some reason,
2: I've, I've always had an interest in, in conducting. Uh, maybe because, you know, the whole family was was playing in a brass band. My my grandfather, my, my father, uh, all my uncles were all playing in a, in a Salvation Army brass band. So there was a lot of brass music uh, all around me. And many of them also were bandmasters. Like I said, my grandfather, but also my father, was a bandmaster in uh, in his home corps. Um, so you could find me uh, when I was a young lad conducting in my room, listening to some of the brass music from from those days. Um, and it really fascinated me how it worked that once somebody took a stick to wave, that others start playing. <laughs> um, so. Uh, I think yeah that'm not sure how that developed, but I always had an interest in leading a band and and making music with with a group
1: for some reason fantastic and did you study music uh, just within the sort of Salvation Army, or did you learn at it, school as well no I, I didn't study music i have no i don't have a formal
2: uh education in in music educational level. Um, so I I went to a private music school to, to learn to play the cornet and uh, soon after that I also started uh, uh, playing the piano. I also went to a private music school and then I developed my skills in the band, uh, in the core band and of course in, in the uh, what we could now call the territorial youth band in the days we had a divisional youth band. So uh, that's how I developed my, my, my cornet playing skills.
1: Yeah. Excellent. And did you ever have a chance to sort of play uh, with brass bands outside of the Salvation Army? Is there a big scene of brass bands outside the Salvation Army in the Netherlands? The tradition in the
2: Netherlands are more what we call the fanfare bands and uh, wind bands, but there's a also there's also a big tradition uh, with brass banding in the in the uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, my father used to play in um, a championship uh, band on based on bass, bass for several years. And I think I was around 14, 15, when I also started playing in that band on Second Cornet. So it was just a small spell uh, in, my, in my career, but uh, maybe two or three years, I guess. Um, and soon after that, I started singing in the umsum south songs and, and later playing in the Amsterdam Star band.
1: Excellent, so a really all-round musicianship then. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Excellent. So, let's talk a bit about you becoming a bandmaster at the age of 22. Did you feel, like like your young age, uh, I guess that's relatively young compared to a lot of bandmasters, did you feel like that was prohibitive in any way, or did you find that actually that was a real positive? I've never really uh, thought
2: of that. Um, For some reason, it it really came natural. Uh, I succeeded my father, who decided in that time that he he, he wanted to attend another Corps closer to where we lived uh, at that moment. And uh, in a way I never felt unsure about uh, taking up that responsibility. Um, Maybe also because my Corps officer really supported me and he always said it's not the age that matters but your uh, competence. So um, I think the the band, they accepted me for uh, whom I was and uh, maybe they were glad that at least somebody was able to take up that responsibility. And maybe they, they would have accepted anyone, but <laughs> um, for some reason, it all came really natural. It was a natural step after playing in the core band for six or seven years.
1: Brilliant. That's fantastic to hear. Now, here's a bit of a um, question for you as now as a seasoned and experienced staff bandmaster. If you could travel back in time and whisper something in your 22 year old ear, um, some advice about leadership or, or conducting, what would you say?
2: Yeah, I'm sure that there are many advices that, w- that I might have taken uh, uh, for uh, uh, more serious uh, <laughs> back in the days. Uh, but, you know, you're young and you think you know, you know it all. But when I'm really looking back at it, um, the one thing I'm thinking of is that uh, I might have underestimated, you know, the responsibility uh, as a spiritual leader for a group as a bandmaster of the Salvation Army. Um, so I would ad- advise any young bandmaster to f- find somebody, uh, somebody, maybe in the core or nearby or whatever, uh, to mentor you on that aspect of uh, spiritual leadership. Um and maybe not only the younger bandmasters, but I think it's really good to have somebody around you that that coaches you um, that, and that, that helps you in your development as a spiritual leader um, for a group like, you know, a core band of the, the Salvation
1: Army. Brilliant. Thank you. Really wise advice indeed. And hopefully people listening that may need to take that on board will take that on board. So let's have a chat, shall we, about the Amsterdam staff band I believe you joined the band first of all in the year 2000 as a cornet player. Uh, Was being part of the Amsterdam Staff Band something that you'd always hoped to do since uh, being a young boy?
2: Yeah, for sure. When you grow up in the Salvation Army, you know the the ASB is a band to look up to. Um, But I never thought that I had a a big chance uh, to to join the band. And for some reason, how it happens. One of the former bandmasters uh, of of the of the star band, he invited me uh, to the rehearsal after some uh, positions came free on the on the on the cornet bench. So there was one rehearsal. I played first cornet and then second rehearsal solo cornet, and <laughs> that's where I stayed for the rest of my playing career in the in the star band.
1: Fantastic! It Must have been a good first rehearsal and instant promotion. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I've I've never asked him to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. So in 2006, you became deputy bandmaster and then bandmaster of the band in 2009. How did you feel taking on that responsibility, especially knowing that the band was always something you wanted to be part of, but then to actually be leading the band?
2: Yes. Um, I, I think by that time, uh, I did develop myself as a as a conductor. Uh, I was also in that period, I, I became... Uh, the bandmaster of our, one of the divisional youth bands. So that was something else from leading a core band, working with, with younger, younger people, um, also maybe a, a higher level uh, at, at that time. So I was close friends with the bandmaster between Howard and myself. So when he took up uh, the band, uh, he needed a deputy and he needed the deputy because he was in the, he's also in the military army band. And that was, that was his first responsibility. So he needed somebody he could rely on, taking over rehearsals now and then and even concerts. Or I also even did half of a tour to Finland as a
1: deputy bandmaster because he couldn't join us. Thank you for giving us that insight. And clearly, over all the years you've been part of the band, there must be many highlights. So it would probably be oversimplistic and a bit crass for me to ask for a particular highlight. But I'm going to anyway. Have you got any particular highlights from your time being part of the band, either as leading it and as a player?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that many of the listeners uh, would would recognise that being part of a of a stuff band uh, brings many many opportunities. So there are many highlights, of course, uh, like touring abroad, uh, CD recordings, television broadcasts. Uh, we have done. Many concerts with with well known uh, soloists and and also brass bands, so those those are highlights on itself. Uh, and being part of that, it's it's really um, uh, it's it's just great to be a part of that. Um, but when I think of some of the highlights uh, as a as a player uh, in two thousand eight, uh, a really well known um, officer of the Salvation Army in the Netherlands. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Boshart. I'm not sure whether you've heard of her. Uh, she was like, you know, the, the, the face of the Salvation Army in the Netherlands. Uh, uh, not just in the army, but also outside. She was a really public figure. She was well known in, uh, in, in the Netherlands. Um, we, we were able to play at her funeral. So uh, And we, we, we mar- we're marching together with the Amsterdam Saafsongs uh, through Amsterdam. And it was uh, broadcasted at uh, Dutch television, so it was really special to, t- as a player, to be a part of of that special event uh, as it was. Um, and of course, um, my first season with the band, uh, ISB One Twenty, uh, a, a really big highlight. Um, quite un- unbelievable uh, when it's your first season uh, season as a as a bandmaster of a, of a star band, being amongst. Um, you know the, the well-known figures like Steve, uh, Steve Cobb. Uh Bill Himes was still the bandmaster of Chicago Starband. Um uh, Ken Waterworth, bandmaster of the Melbourne staff band. and Ron Wakesnorris, uh New York starband. band. Uh, so there was a lot of experience. Uh, bandmasters, uh, and the, then there was me. <laughs> Only one year. Uh, but it was a true highlight and uh really special to be part of that uh that event,
1: uh of course. Excellent, and not a bad way to start off a tenure ship with the ISB 120, is it? <laughs> no, really, yes. Fantastic. Kind, kind of uh, nerve-breaking, but um, I think I managed uh, somehow. <laughs> so, as well as leading the Amsterdam staff bands, your musical influence on Salvation Army music is seen in other places as well, and I'm sure that many listeners will have heard or even played compositions or arrangements of yours. When did you first start to experiment with composition? So I think my uh, development uh, or my
2: composition skills uh, also started from a young age. Um, There was something magic about trying to put something on paper and then hearing it back. So when I started playing uh, the piano, also uh, I suddenly started to play in harmony. And um, so I I tried to write some songs based on lyrics from our uh, songbook. Tried to make some new melodies. And after that. I tried to transform these into uh, brass arrangements. Um, And yes, it was really magic hearing that uh, music played by others. So um, I think I developed myself more by um, experience than being uh, formally educated.
1: And is there a particular piece of yours that is uh, especially meaningful to you or that you have a real connection with?
2: But the the one that comes to mind is um, my arrangement of The Lord is Gracious. Um, For some reason, (laughs) that has been played broadly in and outside the Salvation Army. Uh, And that's something I didn't expect, to be honest. I wrote that for some friends. Uh, They they asked me to arrange that song by Darren Bartlett uh, for their wedding. Um, And when I finished it, I thought it was okay for the occasion. it isn't really difficult, it isn't really fancy or whatever. Uh, but I, I sent it in to um, uh, the music editorial department. Um, and it, I think it's, it's my first piece published also. So that makes it a little more special. And then for some reason it seemed to be very popular, which I like of course. Uh, because it's really nice when people want to play your music. But I, I really didn't expect that. So that, that's one that's really special to me. Um, And a few years ago I made an arrangement of um, a song by George Marshall. It's a really old song. Uh, The title is Sealed by Thy Spirit. It's still in our songbook. It's really a popular song in the Netherlands and I believe it isn't really sung in uh, the UK anymore. It's from uh, 1922 and for some reason it really made an impact with the band. You know, I wrote it for the star band, but also the listeners really it it touched their hearts. Uh, that was the reaction. So, uh, and it's one that I'm I'm not sure whether you're able to be proud of of your music, but I'm, I'm I think I'm proud of that one uh, because it works really well. And if there's something that I want to achieve with my music, that
1: it it touches people's hearts. So, moving to a slightly different area of conversation, your day-to-day career outside of your Salvation Army commitments is uh, quite different, indeed. Could you tell us a little bit about your occupation and what you get up to in your day job?
2: Yes, so uh, since uh, three years I'm a teacher, a teacher, uh, teacher of uh, informatics on a vocational institution. Um, I've been in the IT market for 20 years as a consultant, technical consultant and also as, a, as an IT manager. and. Um, the, the companies I worked for were always related to uh, educational interstu- institutions, and for some reason I was felt like hmm, maybe teaching is something that I I I'd like to do when I'm a little bit older than uh, uh, than I was. Uh, and three years ago, the opportunity race there was a vacancy at the school I'm working for at the moment, so I just dive uh, dived into the deep, and uh, I'm now. Um, uh, 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 fully uh, a full-time uh teacher uh with all kids from 16 until whatever 21 22 maybe so that's really uh interesting <laughs> let's let's
1: say it that way <laughs> <laughs> excellent well thank you for sharing that that's really interesting to hear yeah a little bit that about the other side of your life so here's the last of my more serious questions before we go on some slightly maybe less serious ones um But in all the different aspects of your life that you've spoken about, how does your faith influence the way that you live?
2: Yes, I think um, its influence has transformed into a day-by-day way of living. Um, I've experienced that that God is leading uh, my life in many ways. So, for example, uh, eight years ago, uh, I really didn't feel uh, comfortable at the place I was working. Suddenly, a day um, I got the message that um, the company was re- reorganizing, and they uh, would get rid of me. Uh, so I never felt like, you know, taking the step myself to leave the company because I re- was really I had a good salary, company car, uh, and I thought I'm not sure, but I didn't really feel like leaving the company. And then. And I really believe that that God interfered in my my life, and um, uh, that He said, "Okay, if you don't um, if you don't decide that, I'll decide it for you." And it's time to for you to move on. So um, in everything I do, I've learned not to overthink too much, um, but rely on my heart, and because I believe that God's Spirit moves my heart, uh, and therefore also my doings. Uh, but it it has become. Uh, yeah, a day-to-day way of living, living with God, I believe. So I really uh, am aware of his presence in my life.
1: Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that personal testimony there. So now to change the mood a little bit, quite drastically, we're going to go on to our quirky quickfire questions. So I've got some slightly more Uh, interesting questions to you perhaps, some that you'll have never been asked before, probably never again. (laughs) Uh, But we'll start off with a couple of fairly standard ones. Have you got a favourite Salvation Army composer? Oh, many. I think I have to say Kenneth Downey. Excellent. And now to push you even further, have you got a favourite Salvation Army band piece? Oh,
2: that's not fair. Hmm... I'm really fond of um a of time, Ray That Allen. Yeah.
1: I that's it, in my top 5 anyway. Yeah. Terrific. Great piece. So, um of course it would be um rude for me to go down the uh, these pathway of Dutch stereotypes. So, of course, as always this podcast, I've avoided them at all cost. But <laughs> if you did have to have dinner with a famous Dutchman, who would you rather have dinner with, Max Verstappen or Rembrandt? Uh Rembrandt, I guess. Okay, uh, and which restaurant do you take them to? The dining
2: with Rembrandt. Oh, that's that's really interesting. There's a really good restaurant in the in the place where I live. So it's it's not a a well-known chain of uh, restaurants, but I think I'm taking to that one. They have really good steaks. So fantastic.
1: And if if you drop the name of it, maybe if this podcast becomes really famous in the Netherlands, you might get free meals. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might. It's Lutje. (laughs) Great. There we go. Well, wish you all the best with that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you like
2: cycling? Coincidentally, I'm travelling by bike on a daily basis to my job.
1: Other than that, I don't cycle that much. Okay. If you could click your fingers and travel to any moment from history, where and when would you go? Maybe I'd like to travel to, you know, the period that Mozart
2: lived and see how he behaved himself if I have to believe the film uh, the movie Amadeus uh, I, yeah I, I'd like to see how he was <laughs> and just meet him and talk to him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, have you got a favorite sport? Yes I do but I'm not I don't think it's really commonly known in the, in the UK it's a typical Dutch uh, sport it's called uh, called korfball. Yeah, that's really popular, and and I've played it myself, and my kids play it now, and so it's really nice to uh, to to watch them play. Uh, yeah. Uh, have you got a favourite book of the Bible? I think I have to refer to the Gospels, and maybe
1: John. Yeah, I think it, yeah, John. Excellent. Uh, which footwear would you choose to go for a short hike? Uh, clogs or Crocs? <laughs> Uh, none, of them. none of them. Barefoot, barefoot. Then <laughs> that sounds very painful. Okay, you'll be pleased to know a simple yes or no question now, so a mm. little bit easier. Olaf, do you want to build a snowman? Yes. Right answer. And finally, last question: What's your favourite seafood? Salmon, I guess. Oh, nice, excellent choice. You can breathe a sigh of relief. That's the end of the quirky quickfire <laughs> questions. <so. laughs> I can see the fear draining from your face now, which is great. Sort of. (laughs) So. That takes us on to a new segment that we've introduced in Series 4 of Fully Scored, uh, Band Manager. And just for any new listeners that are listening, just to explain this segment, each guest that comes on is going to be given the opportunity to choose two members uh, to add to a Fully Scored fantasy band that we're creating. And the players can be Salvationist players from anywhere around the world and any time period as well. Uh, And the idea isn't Necessary to create the greatest band of all times because of course that's so subjective I don't think we'd ever achieve it But more for the sentimental uh, reasons and the memories of why uh, you're going to choose these players So Olaf, if you could choose two players to add to the fully scored band manager fantasy band What two players would you choose and where would you seat them?
2: Yes, so uh, first off I'd like to uh, choose uh, my dear friend Steve klepke uh, Again, who passed away last June uh, but he was a true inspiration for uh, for me and for many young people and bandsmen in the uh, in the army in the netherlands and i think also many of them worldwide would have known Stave. he was in contact with uh, i think all the bands, <laughs> all the batsmen uh, uh, all over the world a uh, true salvationist and uh, uh, a wonderful cornet player so i would really be pleased to see him on the solo cornet bench uh, in the in our fantasy band um, and maybe uh, the second one, uh, I thought of Leslie Condon on E-flat. Um, for some reason I, f- I feel myself related to him. Uh, as um, He was of course an, uh, an officer in the army and developed himself as a, as a composer and uh, a wonderful composer. Um, I'm also really fond of his music. Um, and just because of, you know, the the person he was and the the music he, he wrote, uh, I think he deserves a place in our band too.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your choices and your rationale Welcome. there. Brilliant. Well, thank you, Olaf, for your time uh, and joining us to speak. It's been really a real pleasure to get to know you better. And thank you so much for giving those insights and um, your answers and just letting us have a little peek into your life. Well, thank you for having me and... Uh, I wish you all the best with the, with the podcast. Keep on going.
2: It's really good to have uh, something like this uh, on the internet, on Spotify. And
1: uh, good luck with it. Great. Thank you so much. And uh, you haven't got away yet, so we'll see you in a little bit later in the episode for Band Mastermind. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Olaf, for your time and your words. It's quite extraordinary that English actually isn't your first language, but you're far more fluent in it than I am. So, thank you many Salvationist musicians, and also musicians in a wider context, will be familiar with the music of Peter Graham. Shine the Delight is possibly one of Peter's most well-known and most loved compositions that's had a significant impact on Salvation Army music right from its first performance through to today. To find out why that is and discover more about the message of the music, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Ronald Holtz to Fully Scored. Ron, thank you so much for joining us on Fully Scored. It's a real pleasure and a privilege to have you join us here. Thank you. So we're going to be looking at Peter Graham's piece, Shine as the Light, today. Before we delve into the score, can I just ask you a few contextual questions, please? When did you first come across Shine as the Light, and how did you get to know it as a work?
0: Well, I heard about it the, the, the year it was premiered at Star Lake. Um, I was very aware of that, and shortly thereafter uh, was involved uh, with uh, both conducting it and also seeing it used at the uh, Territorial Music Institute in the USA South and writing various program notes and uh, also writing about the piece in some of my, uh, some of my books. So um, I've interacted with uh, Peter on any number of occasions since way back when. So, but I, w- I was aware of the uh, of the writing of "Shine Is the Light," and very quickly after that, had a chance to uh, interact with that. Now, the person who commissioned the work, Ron Wakes Norris, is a close personal friend of mine. Of course, at that time was territorial music director in the USA East and led the New York Staff Band. He had asked Peter, initially that summer, could. Peter lead the essence of time and that was their that's what they were going to aim at for the music camp for the top band but Ron realized about a week or so before the camp it was going to be shall we say a rebuild year and it wasn't a band that was going to be able to tackle essence of time so he asked Peter could you write something and the remarkable story uh, there is that Peter wrote this work within about a week under, under real inspiration this piece took place as a result of not being able to do Essence of Time. But in context, Peter had been wrestling for a number of years with how long Salvation Army band pieces had gotten. They were just, you know, as he, as he said in one, one of his articles when he was at Regent Hall, we used to pummel the audiences into submission with long, drawn out pieces. So he had made the decision that he was going to try and write Salvation Army band pieces within the frame of about eight minutes. Now he wasn't the only one saying this, but Peter was saying it because he felt attention span, um, context. How are you know uh, how are how are you how are we going to reconnect in the modern world uh, in which people just don't have the uh, the energy or the uh, shall we say the desire to. Give that much time to, to, to a long piece. So Shine as the Light is one of those, one of those earlier pieces along that line. And uh, you know, he, he did a whole bunch of pieces in that, that, and in this about that time, like Renaissance, um, uh, The Last Amen, uh, things like that. And Shine as the Light, I think, was the first most successful uh, of that. And it was premiered at Starlake in 96. The Shine is the Light, I think, was particularly successful because it worked on both the musical and the, shall we say, the semantic or for for the the program side, the story that it tells. And of course, we have a long tradition in the Salvation Army for music with a message, music that reaches out. And I think in what he wrote, I think he was truly inspired because he was aiming it at the young people In the Starlight Band, and as a result, to the whole camp. And I think he was very, very successful. So that's the context. You know, it was a last minute thing, but perhaps in the very energy of that week in which he wrote it, I think he was truly inspired.
1: Do you think it would be fair to say that since the premiere of this work, the writing of Salvation Army music ever since has been
0: impacted by it? Absolutely. And uh, I think Peter had, uh, I think he was on the right track. And uh, if you, if we all think back, um, so many of the tone poems and the symphonies got so long. But if we think back, you know, think about Eric Ball writing the triumph of peace in the 1930s, he did that in about six minutes, you see. So we had good models, it's just that after a while, we became more and more protracted in what we wanted to say musically. And I think Peter felt we needed to we needed to regain the ability to contact without overwhelming our congregations or our audiences. So I think he was one of the first to do that. In in the new in the new era. Blazing. One of the interesting things here is the piece ends in the same way it begins, with a loud percussion note, okay? But careful, it's only forte, okay? Where we have that wonderful wake-up, okay, uh, in the percussion, followed by a typical, oh, I would call kind of a shimmering idea that he's going to use throughout the piece, and, of course, the light me motive, the falling uh, thirds, that are, are taken from the end of the Joy Webb song are gonna be, shall we say, terraced there in the introduction uh, over the ostinato in the euphonium. And then of course, very soon, we start getting a little bit of Chick Yills song, A Light Has Come, okay? But just a fragment, but we get both The joy web and the chick yield building in layers and a wonderful introduction uh, that leads to the first allegro. So uh, it's a marvelous opening in in the sense of, of building the building blocks, the idea of the third that's going to be the essence of this whole piece. And it's all over a dominant pedal. In some ways, it's a modern work, but it's very traditional in the sense that Peter's going to write a quasi-sonata-like movement, okay? And uh, it's going to be in, well, let's use band pitch just to be careful. It starts on G, which is the dominant pedal, and that's going to set up the main key of the work, which is C, which is where it's going to end. The middle, the slow song, is going to be on two different keys for contrast. The allegro is going to be, on both sides is going to be purposefully ambiguous he wants that idea of spiritual enlightenment to come after after a bit it's not initially apparent thus, you, thus you get these uh you know shall, shall we say somewhat dissonant sounds uh once the allegro begins excellent so that takes us up to pretty much letter c is there anything
1: that we should be looking out for here in the score from letter c onwards
0: well, I think Peter is a very careful marker, and, uh, and the accents and the dynamics are critical uh, to the setting up of the, uh, this first allegro. Uh, it should have a light dance-like feel. There shouldn't be anything ponderous about it. By C, it should only be mezzo forte and the phonemes and the solar cornet, you want to make sure it's got a, a, an exciting ebullience about it, without being, um, shall we say, tense. Okay, it, it should it should have a a flowing excitement about it, and uh, and 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 that typical ambiguity without being overdone. Even the mutes that enter in letter D, okay, with the accents shouldn't be overplayed, okay. That way, when you get to E where it's a little bit more animated, and we, we almost have a full ensemble, then you have levels, okay? You, you can gradually build build the level. So if you play the, the first part of the Allegro too loud, it's not gonna be able to go anywhere. The printed score in New York, they put the words at letter F, it's a great day. That's not the song. It's walk, 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 walk in the light. It's a West Indian song, which goes all the way back to the early days of the musical Salvationist. The tune is walk, 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 walk in the light, which makes a lot more sense, okay, for for why it's there, and of course that marvelous arpeggio, okay, that has to be so elegant in the, you know, the the solo cornet passing it off to the soprano, back to the solo cornet to the euphonium, and of course the uh, even the timpani against the light sounding uh, trio in the uh, you call it tenor horns. We would say alto. Uh, by the way, letter H really has to be soft and keep that dance-like quality. And if it can stay mezzo piano, then the bar before I works. And then we start again, Piano Subito at I. So the, the dynamics are such a critical thing in this piece for building the musical um, structure as well as the excitement. K in, in some, some way, speaks for itself if you have a good solo, Karenettes. I, I, you know, it's it's like what Derek Smith always says when he hears a new soloist: "Do you know the words?" And a uh, bandmaster's should make sure that their bands know Joy Webb's great song. And and I I think that knowing the words would be very 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 important for the band as well as the soloist. Well, There's two things. We are to be the light of the world, right? And Christ is the light of the world. So it's both. In other words, it's it's a double metaphor. Shine as the light. Well, we can't shine as the light unless we have Christ shining within us. course that uh, the key change at L uh, when the euphoniums and and first baritones take over the tune and there's a beautiful obligato again energy look at the dynamics there Uh, it's again not loud Again, he loves the word slantando, loves to emphasize those those flat notes like the first trombone in two before M, uh, leaning on, on that, but again, not over-sentimentalizing it either. And of course, then there's the ending, the, the wonderful return of these... Uh, thirds in the euphonium and the marvelous chords. I mean, Peter just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like rewritten Leonard Bernstein uh, you know, in those chords third bar of M. If you look at them, they're major and minor thirds at the same time. We would call them inverted ninths. But again, not too loud. Let that build. Okay? So if that's only piano, and then we surge into end at, at forte. <laughs> A mantra here which is don't overplay this piece Peter knows what he wants with his dynamics so please follow him and the same thing is true with his speeds okay be careful don't overplay the piece <laughs> We get to this uh, this famous uh, Senza Mazora section, right? Peter refers to it as chance in his little score note. It's not really chance. It's what's called indeterminate, okay? In other words, part of it is at the discretion of the conductor and part of it's written out. So it's not like John Cage, you know, fully chance, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it it is a determined moment that has to be managed very, very carefully by the conductor. The various cornets at at various times. I personally don't like too metronomic an entrance. I think we should take the alignment with a grain of salt. In other words, where the different cornet entrances come, okay. so that the shimmer really is a neat one. Okay, that, that wonderful uh, five note complex that he's gonna work off of before we start the light me ideas in the lower brass. And again, three dynamic levels, piano, mezzo forte, forte. me ideas are not necessarily in aligning with the yep, up, 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 like some kind of metronome. So they're always lining up. It should be against the grain just to a certain degree. Okay. So there's an urgency to that. Right. Urgency to that in the midst of this blazing uh, myriad of lights and candles. And then, of course, boy, in, 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 into you, right? Uh, pulling that off on the right tempo. And and of course, Chick Deal's marvelous song, The Light Has Come. He's only marked at forte. How many bands just are so, so loud they take that word ablaze a little too literally. It's interesting how Peter uh, interacts with his motor in in between uh, the tune itself. So if I were rehearsing this, I would want to just hear the people who play the song play the song and really let it sing. And all the other stuff, the runs and the cornets and the call and response and the solo horn, making sure that that works so that when you get to W it really can sing, right? It's a beautiful chorale at at that particular moment. fortissimo here's the real blaze of sound okay as a conductor you may want to not conduct in two here you might stay to a fast four bump 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 rather than in two Conducted in four and uh, notice it's fortissimo in the in the in the runs but the response is only forte until measure 210 where you reach the real light me light me and the the back and forth and then of course the marvelous cornetta i think it kind of plays itself except with three from the end mezzo piano subito, and the run that goes down in the tubas and and the baritone euphoniums, making sure that everybody pays attention to the last 16th that we actually hear a chord there okay bop, Length, of course, and then the finally first time in the whole piece, triple forte, and then of course it ends like it begins, whack, percussion. This piece is the model for our, shall we say, concert works. The best Salvation Army music works on both the musical and the, for lack of a better word, semantic level. In other words, it has a message. And the two have to be together. I I remember something that uh, my good friend uh, Ray Simon Allen said, you know, Salvation Army musicians will never get back to, to what we really are about unless we really get back to the Word of God and study it as a band and study it, uh, study what we are doing in the context of the Word of God. Uh, And and I think that's important with a piece like Shine as a Light as well. Um, When we do that, uh, we are going to be successful in allowing the Spirit to speak to people, okay, through our music. And I think that that's absolutely vital. So there it is. That's my that's my thoughts on it
1: anyway. Well, thank you so much, Ron, for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you speak to us. And thank you so much for the time that you've put into that. And I hope that we are able to hear from you again at some point in the future on the podcast.
0: I think it's a great idea what you're doing. And thanks for uh, letting me be part of it.
1: Thank you. Ron, thank you for that analysis. It's quite clear to see why Ron is one of the leading academics on Salvation Army music and its history. His knowledge is beyond extraordinary. Thank you so much for your time and preparation in putting that together. If you've got any Salvation Army band CDs in your house, there's a good chance that the enclosed sleeve notes are written by Ron. But if you had to pick one of those CDs as your all-time favourite, what would it be? Well, that tenuous link is the question – plus a little bit of dramatic embellishment that our next guest had to answer in Arid Island Album. Land
3: ahoy!
1: Welcome to Arid Island. Today's guest is Melissa D. Well, well, thank you ever so much for joining us on Arid Island Albums. It's good to see you.
3: Good to be here.
1: Excellent. And uh, we're doing our recording on set here at SPNS at World of Sound. Uh, so thank you for letting us use your mics. Hopefully it sounds really nice and clear. <laughs> no problem at all. So before I ask about your Arid Island choice, I've just got a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. So we're here at World of Sound, as I said, and you work for World of Sounds. What is your role here?
3: Um, yeah, so my role is as a producer and engineer and all sorts of other things, really. We're quite a small small team, so we all all do a bit of everything. Um, so, yeah, going on audio recordings and engineering them, putting the mics up, making it sound nice, um, sometimes producing them. So making sure that the best things are, are happening, um, you know, getting people to do it again, but better. Um, and then I also do some video work, so editing trailers um, and that, that sort of thing as well.
1: Fantastic. And was that always a career path that you wanted to go in or how did you get into this w- zone of work?
3: Um, yes, yeah, so I grew up uh, in a you know doing music, singing and playing the French horn. Um, so I definitely knew I wanted to do something in music. Uh, Although I didn't much fancy being the performer, the person standing out front that everyone was looking at. So this is very awkward for me being in front of a microphone. Um, Yeah, so working sort of behind the scenes somewhere was something I knew I wanted to do. Um, And yeah, so I went and studied music and sound recording uh, at university and um, got into this job from there.
1: Fantastic. Normally people say it's awkward being in front of me, not the microphone, it's a nice change. <laughs> Great. So that brings us on to the most tricky question. If you were stuck on an arid and deserted island and could take one album with you, what would the album be and why?
3: Um, yeah, so this is, I don't know whether maybe this is a slightly conceited choice because I've actually chosen um, an album that I recorded and worked on. Um, so it's quite special to me in, mm. in that way. Um, it's Masquerade by the Foden's band. Uh, it's, it was one of the first albums I engineered uh, when I work, started working here and then I did kind of most of the post-production after that as well. So it's kind of one of the first albums I saw from being on the recording session to then seeing the finished thing uh, in my hand with my name on it. Um, so it holds a special place to me in that way. And also I think it sounds fantastic and it's four fantastic pieces of music on it. Yeah.
1: Brilliant, something to be really proud of there. Yeah, absolutely. And a great choice as well. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Mel. Great to chat with you and a fantastic album choice. Now it's time to welcome Olaf Ritman back for his stint in the band mastermind, Hot Seat. Olaf, thank you very much for joining us again for Band Mastermind. Uh, On a scale of 1 to 10, how nervous are you? Uh, 11. 11? Brilliant, that's what we like to hear. (laughs) So, Olaf Rickman, are you ready to play Band Mastermind? I'm ready. Okay, your time starts now. Saturday night and Sunday morning is a CD recorded by which band? Uh, Bruce Leeson. Incorrect. We'll come back to the answers in a bit. The most recent ISBCD CD is named after a new work by Kenneth Downey, but what is the work? Powerhouse. Correct. Who was the first bandmaster of the Rosehill Band? Um. Can't, can't, can't remember. Uh, I know no. it. Wait, tell me. Mm. Okay, we'll move on. Jake Wee. Jakeway? That's incorrect, I'm afraid. But a uh, good guess. Good guess. Stephen Ponsford's Terrace Fortissima is named after the Latin motto of which English coastal city? Don't know. Okay. Which Salvation Army band was the first ever to march in the Lord Mayor's Parade in London on the 9th of November 1928? House Troops? Incorrect, I'm afraid. It's a tricky one. Name the first piece by Roger Trigg to be published in the Judd Street Collection.
2: Um... Worthy as the
1: land? Incorrect, I'm afraid. For how many years was George Fuller bandmaster of the ISB for? Six. Not far off. Who wrote the cornet solo, Happy All the Day? Uh, Eric Lyson. Correct. And the final question, because our time is about to run out. Which of the following is not a real march, published in the general series? Death's Rolling Tide, the Golden Heart March, or Victory is Near? The Golden Heart March. Incorrect. That is a real march that's published in the General Series. So, that gives you a total of two. Which isn't bad at all. (laughs) Way too difficult questions. I'm a younger bandmaster, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Two is not a bad score at all for bandmastermind. I'll just run back through those questions and uh, give you the answers of any that you didn't get, or for listeners at home. So, Saturday Night and Sunday Morning is a CD by London Citadel Band.
2: Mm. Of course.
1: Um... The first bandmaster of the Rosehill Band uh, was actually Walter J. Ward, Major Walter J. Ward. So, Never have Yeah. Uh, I think there's a very select few people that might know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the coastal city, which has the motto, "Tourist Fortissima, or that's the starter motto, is Plymouth down in the south. Uh the first Salvation Army band to ever march in the Lord Mayor's Parade, this was a bit of a trick question in a way, was actually a band that I'd never actually heard of either. Uh, the Chief Office Band of the Salvation Army's Assurance Society. If you got that ah, at home... Of course, I have yeah. all this these. Yeah, yeah, it rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, as well? <laughs> so yeah. uh, if you got that at home, congratulations. Uh, the first piece of Roger Tricks to be published in the Judge Street collection is Battle Ready. Mm. And George Fuller was bandmaster of the ISB for 19 years. Uh, The the march that I made up the title of was Victory is Near. Uh, Death's Rolling Tide and the Golden Heart March are both published in the general series very, very early on. And you correctly got Eric Lyston as the composer of the Cornet Solo. Happy all the day. So, how are you feeling now on a scale of 1 to 10? (laughs) Well, I think most of the questions were uh, a bit uh, British-orientated, but uh, otherwise, uh, two is a fine score, I guess. I'll tell you what, for our next guest, I'm not sure who it is, if you want to write a selection of uh, Dutch-orientated questions... Oh, yes. ...then please do. We'll we'll give someone else some payback. Yeah, (laughs) I'll send you some. That would be brilliant. (laughs) The more niche and difficult, the better. (laughs) Of course, yes. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you, Olaf, for taking it in the spirit. It's intended. (laughs) Happy to join. Great fun. Great fun. Great. And we'll get you on the leaderboard as soon as possible. But thank you so much for joining us once again today. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you to all who got in touch with your guesses for the sparsely scored. Quite interestingly, we had several listeners guess that the excerpt was taken from the Canadian Folk Song Suite. A great guess, but not the correct answer, I'm afraid. As nobody did guess the piece correctly, we'll add another band part. This week, we're adding the E-flat bass line, which you'll hear in conjunction with last month's second baritone part. Once again, if you think you might know the piece then send us a direct message on any of our social media pages. Make sure not to make a public comment in case you give away the correct answer. We couldn't have that now. Let's hear that extract one more time. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in episode 39. Join us next month as we make the big 4-0. In the meantime, if you don't already, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter to keep up with the latest and any bonus content. If you've enjoyed today also, then perhaps you might consider leaving us a rating and a review if you use Apple Podcasts, as we'd love to hear your feedback. Now for a few thanks. Thank you to our wonderful guests, Olaf, Ron and Mel, for giving up your time and sharing it with us. Thank you to our producer, Simon Gash, for being a sound butcher, slicing and dicing the juiciest bits of chat into this fine filet of a podcast. Thanks to Wobplay for hosting the podcast and associated playlist with it. If you haven't already checked it out, visit Wobplay to have a listen. Thank you to the rubbery skin that forms on top of an unstirred saucepan of custard. That is the Band Nerds, for your help with the Bandmastermind trivia. And last, but never least, thank you to you, our listener, for partaking in our banquet of bands. Until next time, goodbye and God bless.